Hello and greetings to each of you this day. I am your host of the Being Love in Action podcast, Reverend Kenya C. Williams of Kenya C. Williams Ministries. Listen, I'm a grace girl, a daughter of the King of Kings and a disciple and lover of Jesus Christ. And I invite you to walk with me today as I share a word of encouragement. So grab your coffee or have a sip of tea with me while being encouraged, empowered, and even challenged as we learn through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the life applications of what it truly means to be loved in action. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back. All of my podcast listeners, all of the ones who have been here with me for going on two years now, almost two years. And then for all of the new listeners, we are always excited about what God is doing as he increases uh, those who come and and tune into the podcast. We know that you could be anywhere listening to any podcast, but we don't take it lightly. We're so grateful when you come back or you tune in for the very first time and listen to what we're doing here on the Being Love in Action podcast. Hi, once again, today is a special edition of the Being Love in Action podcast. And honestly, it is the first podcast of the new year. I know we're already into February. Listen, there is a time when sometimes you just have to just let God, let go and let God and just go and be led the way that he leads us. Amen. And so I'm excited about today because today is a a day that many celebrate love, you know, whether it is that Eros love and a relationship type of love, whether it's your husband or wife, your fiance or your boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, or if it is uh, that love that you have for your children, your family, your friends, that filio and that story love. You know, we th- we're just grateful today for the word love. And if you guys are new to this podcast, Being Love in Action podcast was founded off of uh, the, the, the principle as well as the actual um, meaning of love. I think 1 Corinthians 13 and 13 is my favorite, favorite verse. But we know that that, that text uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 13 tells us about love so much. And so I want to talk about today. As we jump into the podcast on this Valentine's Day. And hey, I want to say happy Valentine's Day to everyone. Listen, it's okay if you have a husband or wife and people are sending out flowers and, you know, all of those loved ones. And I want to say something special, a special Valentine's Day for those who may be single. And today is not a good day for you because, you know, you may not get flowers or you may not have a significant other. But let me tell you something, just give you this nugget. If you are here today, if you're able to listen to this podcast, wherever you may be in the world, listen, we have listeners all over the world and I love each and every one of you. And I thank you for all of our listeners that are all over the world. Literally, I want to say to you, um, it is what, 630 in the morning morning here in um in uh Louisiana where I am but you know it may be uh five o'clock in the evening or maybe you know one o'clock in the morning somewhere else but listen I think that Valentine's Day is a day that's celebrated all over the world right I just 
just want to say to you, if you're listening and you're feeling sad or discouraged, because maybe you didn't, if you're a lady, you didn't get any flowers or, you know, if you're a guy who maybe you're hopeless romantic, right? There is not that lady that you really like, or maybe there is someone, but you, you weren't able to connect with them, right? I just want to encourage you to know that even when, um, you know, we feeling down or sad, always be mindful that God loves you. And I know people may say that sounds cliche, but let me tell you something. If you really think about it, and if you're tuning into this podcast and you listen, let me tell you something. The word of God says in 1 Corinthians 13 and 13, which is the foundational scripture for this podcast, it says that out of these three that will remain, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. Listen, I don't care where you are, what you've experienced, sad. I want you, if you were crying, wipe those tears, be excited, find something to be excited about. And if you can't be excited about anything, let me tell you, be excited about the fact that there is a savior that died for you. He loved you so much that he allowed himself to walk through humanity humanity's issues and be placed on the cross and he died for our sins for you and I so that we may have eternal life that is something to be excited about because that is the ultimate act of love right so I just want to encourage you don't be sad and today I'm gonna go walk with you um and talk about I want to look at seven couples from the bible yes I told you this is a special valentine's day edition of the Being Love in Action podcast. And today I'm going to, we're going to tag this one or title this um, podcast, Love and Relationships. Yes, love and relationships. That's a great topic to talk about on a day where people are displaying what they consider to be love. And if we know, if we really think about the word love, it is such a complex word because if you talk to different people, they may think or say love means something different to them. And I, and today I'm not going to be so um, the theologically or exegetical uh, teaching today. I want this to be... Uh, um, a conversation that you and I are having that is very practical in the way that I'm going to give it to you, right? Of course, I'm always one for words, so we're going to always have scripture, but I want it to be very practical in the way that we see it. One of the things we call this, it gives us the life applications of what and how to love. Amen. So listen, let's get into it. And we're going to look at seven couples, right? that's in the Bible and we're going to look at their story and I'm going to do this kind of quickly. So this is not going to be not going to try to do it very long, but we're going to look at seven couples and they're not necessarily in chronological order. So for all of you who are listening for that uh, disclosure, it is very much so um, not necessarily chronological. It is just as I'm flowing with it. So just just keep in mind, we're going to make this fun and we're going to make this light. And I want it to be engaging because I want you to take away from this uh, just the truth and how we can look at love and look at the totality totality. Of it and how we can learn from the life lessons of these people. Many of these were normal, these were normal people that were used by God in a great way. But what we miss many times is that they were normal people. Amen. And many times, if you look at their stories, we can relate to them, whether it's on a personal level 
or from a level that we've seen others, whether it's other people in our family. However, you know, we can relate to them. Amen. The first couple we're going to look at is the first couple of all, which is Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, we know the story. It starts uh, in Genesis 2. We, we look at Adam and Eve, who was the first man was Adam. And then God said to Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. And then he created Eve from his rib. Amen. So if you want to read about the story of, of Adam and Eve, if you're not familiar, maybe you're not familiar with the Bible. Listen, I always want to make sure that people have an understanding that this is not something we're just making up. Right. So check out Genesis starting at chapter two and begin to read about the story of Adam and Eve. But here is what I want to tag Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had that innocent love, you know, that first love. How many can you relate? How many of you are right now married to your high school? school sweetheart or, you know, um, when you met that person and you married them, you were literally a virgin, right? This is a podcast for adults. So we're going to, you know, we just don't, don't freak out. Yes, we're Christians, but we're, we're realists at the same time. How many of you had that love, you know, uh, that love where there was no one before that person, no one in the sense of intimacy or anything like that, you know, that that was that first love. And we really equate that love. I have a cousin who's been married, who's married and she's been with her her husband for years, but they met in elementary school, right? And so that's their first love. And if I can be honest, my my, hus- my husband, who's now my ex-husband, but we met uh, right after I was 18. And, you know, to, for me, that was my first love. We were so innocent. I was still a virgin, you know, all of that stuff, um, you know, um, when I met him. Right. And so this is this is that innocent love, that love that has the ability to love innocently. Right. There has not been really anything prior. So there really wasn't any heartbreaks or any of those things to kind of help dilute that love. And the beautiful thing about that innocent love is that it is innocent. Right. There's there's nothing to taint it. But the also the thing about the innocent love um, that we can look at with Adam and Eve, God had told Adam as the man, listen, you have reigned to this beautiful garden. You have to, you don't have to do anything. You know, this is, everything is provided for you. He was in utopia, right? And so the only instruction for him was not to eat of a certain tree. Okay, within the garden, you know, have you it's funny because everything was perfect for him at that moment. So he eats. So he tells Adam, don't eat from the tree. Now, had he told Eve, I don't know for sure, for sure if he told Eve, but he had the responsibility as the man to let her know what the instructions were. Right. And so what happens is here comes this snake, right? Uh, whispering in the ear of Eve. Remember, it's just them two. So there is no friends around to to say, girl, don't listen to this snake. We know in the physical, in the in the natural, in this text, the snake was an actual snake. But in life, that snake could be supposedly a friend, right? 
right? Because we're, we're making it practical. In your life, maybe that snake, uh, that, that friend is, is really a snake because that person is whispering into your ear to do something that is going to cause problems to your marriage, right? Or your relationship. And so here was Eve listening to the snake who lied. Baby, basically, he did not lie. He just didn't tell the whole truth. He says to her, listen, if you, you know, the reason why, you know, God doesn't want you to eat of this tree is because if you do, it's going to open your eyes and you're going to have more knowledge than him. You're going to have knowledge. Right. And so Eve being the woman and saying, you know what? It's not going to hurt. Let, let me let me just try it. Right. And so what she does, she calls in Adam and she said entices her husband to say, listen, um, look, babe, you know, this is me thinking how she may have said it to him. And, uh, you know, I don't think that, you know, this is really going to hurt, you know, hurt us. I don't think he'll really know that we did it. Come on, let's just try it. Right. So she eats of the forbidden fruit and then she gets her husband to do it. Now, pause. What has it been in your life? If this is a story that you can relate to, maybe you and your husband, you know, who is that person that has whispered in your ear to do something that you and your husband, your mate has said, you know what? We're not going to do this because if we do this, it's not going to be a good thing for our household. Right. And he did it. He ate it. Right. And what I want you to understand is the great thing about this story is their ability to love innocently, right? But look at love, their love in their innocence and also in their um, disobedience. It, it caused them to overlook accountability. There was supposed to be accountability from Adam as the head. He was supposed to say to her, you know what? Don't eat it. Or if she had eaten it, I'm not going to eat that. Can you imagine the difference it maybe would have happened? But the reality is, what do we take from this story of Adam and Eve? I think one of the greatest things is that they showed such that genuine and innocent love. I mean, there was nothing before them and nothing after them. All they had was their them too. And that innocence in their love that caused them to... Uh, irresponsibly uh, love each other to a fault. And I think that we should, but we should not love someone to a fault where it goes outside of the will of God for our lives. So Adam and Eve was our first couple, that innocent love. And then our second couple we're going to look at is Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph, I call them the honorable love. That's that trusting love they had for one another. And if you want to read about the story of Mary and Joseph beginning Matthew 1 chapter 1 verses 18 through 24. Joseph I Joseph gives us a glimpse in the model of the first step parent or the bonus parent. I like to say bonus parent. I, I know that's a new word that people use because when you two people come together and they've had um, 
children already, maybe from previous marriages, you know, or whatever the case may be. They come together. They have this bonus family. So I don't like to say step parent, but I know most people understand because that's the term that has been used for years. But Mary and Joseph, listen, Joseph and Mary were sent to marry get married and you got to look at the cultural stuff culturally marriages were arranged right and there was a a whole ritual of things that people went through the families went through and all of that and what happened was here was mary visited by an angel from god from heaven and tells her you're going to conceive you're going to become pregnant by god and so it happened she gets pregnant wow and then Joseph finds out that she's pregnant. Now you got to understand Joseph's situation here. Culturally, you know, you had to be a virgin before you got married. When you got married, that was not even a question. Purity was so important. Right. And so how could he marry this woman and she's pregnant now? She tells him, you know, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant by God. Can you imagine how crazy he might have thought? I mean, just think about all that he went through just from a human perspective. Let's not get super spiritual just from a human perspective. He could not grasp initially. Right. Can you imagine today's time, you know, um, a situation like that? And today's time, you know, a Mary would be a woman maybe who had kids um, and she wasn't married. Right. Or maybe she had kids and she became a widow or she became a divorcee. And so there are some men that won't they don't want to marry a woman that has children outside children. And that's a choice. You know, you have a right to choose that. But that doesn't mean that that woman um, is a bad person or she was, you know, um, doesn't deserve to be loved or can't bring love to a relationship. And so here is this man who is honorable by all nature, nature, because what happens is the, the, the an angel visits him and says to him, listen, this woman is 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 a blessed woman of God. And not only is she a blessed woman of God, she's caring the king of kings, the savior. So I need you to understand that she has not been with another man. She has not been with anyone. And it is an honor to be a part of this child's life. So Joseph, once he gets this information, he downloads it and he does the right thing. He honors this woman and says, you know what? I'm able to take on the task. Joseph was had that honorable love. He took this woman who probably emotionally was going through all kind of things. Who else could she tell that she had been impregnated by the Holy Spirit? She was holding on to, you know, I don't think many times people look at Mary's story. They just look at the beauty of it. But can you imagine in her humanity what she was going through emotionally? She probably was worried this man is going to leave me. You know, I, I he he won't stay around. You know, who can I tell this to? Because she could have been stoned to death. Remember, we're talking about culture, you know, because was they going to believe? Was everybody going to believe that she was pregnant by the spirit of God? No, ma'am. They weren't many people and they were supposed to be believers in Christ or believing in the coming of Christ. Right. So Joseph and Mary. 
was what I considered that honorable love, that love today that there are many beautiful step parents who are men and women who have taken on the task of loving um, children that were not biologically theirs, but pouring into them the gifts and the blessings that God has gifted them with. So maybe you can relate to Mary and Joseph's story in that honorable love that God has blessed you with a, a new new spouse where, you know, you have become this, this surrogate father or surrogate mother. And many times it doesn't even have to be in a marriage. It could be within your church community, in your, in your neighborhood, or maybe in mentorship. So the, the love of, of Mary and Joseph and Joseph honorable love toward Mary transcends just the, the Eros love. It, it goes much more into love in general and how we can be honorable to those who we may not be biologically connected to. Amen. So that was Mary and Joseph, that honorable love. Let's get in the next per love we want to look at is Ruth and Boaz, that patient love. Wow. You know, this is a story if I can be honest, personally, I didn't really like the story about Ruth and Boaz. And I'm going to tell you why. It wasn't so much that I did not like them. I, I used to get tired of hearing women, especially, say, oh, I can't wait for God to send me my Boaz. And, and I think many times it was what I didn't like about it was the connotation that they always looked at Boaz in a perspective of wealth. You know, the, you know, the women were looking and listen, I am a firm believer that, you know, God says a, a man should be able to provide. Amen. So I'm not saying that <clears throat> a woman, excuse me, should not want a husband that can provide. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, it, it, it just would just kind of make me feel some kind of way because it was like, I want a Boaz and I, you know, it was always being said. And I'm like, wow. So the only thing that they were really equating Ruth and Boaz to was the prize of what they believe was the prize was this man who was wealthy. And that is just part of it. I think it had so much more to do with the character and the and the character of this man, right? And and this woman, I think what would bother me was that they didn't really talk about Ruth and who she was as a woman. Because many times I don't think, especially from women, we don't want to look at our what we considered our rough places, you know, in life. We don't really want to look at those places because it requires us to kind of dissect who we are or it kind of requires us to dissect the truth in our lives. Ruth was a great example of and if you want to look at the story of Ruth, you can look read the the read Ruth um starting at chapter 2. Um is where I can tell you to really begin to get an understanding of Ruth. But it's not a long um, book in the Bible. So you can read it um, really easily and really get an idea of Ruth and the story of Boaz, her and Boaz. And again, I call them the patient love. You know, with Ruth was a widow. That was the first strike against her. She was a widow. So therefore, there was no one really to provide for her. You know, remember, the men were the providers. The women ran the homes. They cooked. They did those things. So they didn't really most women. Now, there were some that were entrepreneurs, but most women in that in that culture, they were stay at home wives. You know, they took care of raising and rearing the children. But she was a widow. She didn't have any 
kids. She was a young widow. She was a foreigner. You know, she did not live. She was not of Jewish descent. She was a Moabite woman. So she moved after her husband died. Her and her mother-in-law left the country where they were in Moab. And then they went back. She followed her mother-in-law to her own country, to her own homeland. And you got to understand that Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, was an old woman now. Her husband died. All of her sons were dead. She had no one to provide for her, like literally. She was too old to um, get married again. So the question was, she said to her daughter-in-law, and she had two daughters-in-law, she said, listen, I'm going to give you girls the release to go back to your countries, stay here in your country and remarry. And the beautiful thing about Ruth was she said, I'm not wherever you go. I'm going to go. I'm going to serve your God and I'm going to go where you're going. I'm not staying here. That was one of the most honorable things anyone could do. It was very selfless, right? She had a very honorable character. And so they go back to their country and as they get back to their country, they were poor. There was no men left that she knew of in Ruth's family to provide in in Naomi's family. So Ruth literally had to get up every day and go to the fields and glean wheat. Gleaning is when you get literally on your knees and and get the scraps of what's left over from those who are plowing or or, um, picking the wheat out of the fields. Okay. She was doing it uh, as a renegade because there was no, you know, it wasn't a a glamorous thing to do because literally she was stealing, right? She was looking for food, but she was getting on her knees out there in the field. So she was working, but she wasn't necessarily an authorized worker, right? And so that's what she was doing. And eventually she caught the eye of the owner of that field. Now you got to understand she she didn't have the latest clothes on. She 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 I'm quite sure her mind wasn't on, oh, let me let me try to get the attention of a man or let me whether he's old or young. Her mind was never on plotting to get a man. Her her mind was on working to feed herself and her mother-in-law. And so it was her kindness towards her mother-in-law. It was her character in the long run and her guidance that put her in a position on becoming a wife. As Naomi guarded her, she found out that this man, Boaz, who had now given favor or caught the eye of Ruth, he she began to explain to her, he is related to me. And that he is someone that you could possibly marry. And so under the guidance of Mary, I'm sorry, under the guidance of Naomi, she instructed Ruth on what to do. So what what am I saying? Ruth was very patient. And that's why I call it the patient love. She was patient in waiting for the right person and the right time. She wasn't out looking for all the different men. She wasn't out there putting herself out. You know, she wasn't soliciting anything, but trying to work and trying to take care of 
her mother-in-law and herself. She was the ultimate and the consummate example of a single woman who, you know, she didn't have all of the stuff that most women had or most women wanted, but she she remained uh, intact with her character and she was honorable. I don't know about you, but I can relate to Ruth a lot. And, you know, I am single in this season of my life. And I believe that this story inspires me because it reminds me of how to be patient and wait for love. We don't have to try to get the attention of all the men because it goes back to the word of God. He says that, uh, you know, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. I don't think we have to look. I think we have to allow God to move. We just have to be in the right place in the right time. Amen. So that's Ruth and Boaz's uh, relationship. And I call it the patient love because eventually he married her. And it did, it wasn't about anything she had because she had no material possessions to bring to the relationship. So, you know, when someone says, oh, you know, what do you bring into the table? I want you to really question that. And I'm not saying we can't have healthy conversations and all of those. But, you know, sometimes we focus on the wrong things and not look at what's right. If Boaz would have really looked at at um, Ruth and what she had, she would have never been the one. And remember, he was a man of wealth. So he had his pick of women that he could have gotten. But one of the things he said in this story is that he heard about what she did for her mother-in-law. And one of the greatest things that a woman could do with a man, especially a man that has wealth, is allow him to be able to trust you with everything that he has. It was her character. It was the fact that he knew from her, from what she had done for her mother-in-law that she was not only a woman of, of character, but she was a woman of kindness and that he could trust her. Amen. So now that's the third story. Here we go. Kicking it up to David and Bathsheba. Yes, 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 yes. I know many of us know the story of David and Bathsheba. And you can, for those of you, you can uh, check out and read it in 2 Samuel, starting at the 11th chapter. I call David and Bathsheba's love that dangerous love, you know, that adulterous, lustful love, because it was all of those. You know, David was the king and he saw this woman bathing on the rooftop, which was traditionally okay for those because during that time of the year, it was okay for the women to bathe because the men were gone to war. So it was okay. But it was the king who should have been at war, but he was not. And he saw her. And when he saw her bathing, he was smitten by her beauty. Oh my God. Oh, I always say Bathsheba had, Bathsheba had to be a beautiful woman because, you know, the king had his pick of the women, but it was something about this beautiful woman. But watch this. This love story was not started on the right page. It was started in a lustful situation. It was started in an adulterous situation. If you think about it, Bathsheba was put in a position of being a mistress. Yes, she was. The reason why I say she was put in the position because he was the king and his authority meant that she did what he told her to do, right? I mean, could she have fought the king and said, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm quite sure she could have done that. But, you know, again, you're talking about culturally, you know, maybe she felt like I can't tell him this. Maybe he's and then you got to remember her husband was a, a faithful soldier in the army. 
of the king. And so here was David. He, he, he found this woman. He saw her. He invited her into his home and he had sex with her. That's what he did. Initially, it was not any love. It was all about lust. He had sex with her. So now he has made her an adulterer. And he knew that she was married. See, the, the, the scary thing about the lust is that it puts us in a place to sin. It puts us in a place to fulfill the flesh. It, 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 it does that. And But what I want us to remember about David and Bathsheba is that even though David did all of this craziness, he was still a man of God. Some of you may say, but he was, listen, he still loved God. But he had a moment. And in that moment, he sinned. So I want you to first get from David and Bathsheba what that was that he was still, you can still be a child of God and mess up. You can. The Bible tells us oh, the, the righteous man falls, but he gets up many times. That That is reality. You know, let's, let's be honest. He fell. He will still be a child of God. And in sin, you have to, when you do something sinful, you have to continue to try to cover up that sin and live a lie. He was constantly trying to cover up that sin. Once he continued in this relationship, because once you get it, you can't let it go. He wanted more and more and more of this woman who was married, right? So he gets the husband and he sets up a hit. He tells the husband, one of his generals, listen, put him on the front line so that he can be killed. And so what happens is Uriah, who was the husband of Bathsheba, he, be, he, he is killed. Now she's a widow and he can marry her. So many times when we mess up, sometimes we try to wrong our rights, right? And so we got to understand that there are consequences that are detrimental and they can be forever on your legacy in life. Listen, Bathsheba and David. So at this point, I believe that David loved her. He loved her enough to want to marry her and make it right. His heart knew he, he wanted this woman so much that he, he put out a hint. He committed murder. You know, it wasn't his hands, but he got someone else to do it. Right. And so now this woman is pregnant. He takes her as his wife and in his mind, okay, we're going to make this right wrong. I'm going to make her a queen. She's going to be my wife and I'm going to do this. Does that sound familiar? You know, maybe one of you can relate to this story. You know, we see it all the time on, you know, within famous people and regular people. You have someone, a wife that's been faithful to her husband. Then he messes around on her, marries the mistress, leaves her. And I tell people this all the time. There will always be a consequence when we do something out of the will of God. And so here was David, man, this man of God who God used to do many great things, but he was still a man and he sinned. And what happened was there was a consequence. The consequence was now here is here is where, you know, the person of God has to do one of the most important things is to repent. How does that happen here? The man of God comes and God, uh, the, the prophet tells him, God is not pleased with you. As a result of this, your that child that she's carrying is going to die. 
He said, as a result of this, your household, your children will always be in turmoil. And if we know the story of David, his children was buck wild. He had one son for one other wife that raped his own sister, right? He had his son Absalom that was constantly trying to kill him. I mean, it was a crazy household, but God still blessed David in many ways. And here's why. Because once the prophet made known to David what was going to happen, David immediately repented. He asked God to forgive him of the adultery, of the murder, but he still had to deal with the consequence that his son would die, his firstborn with this woman. Now, God blessed that marriage eventually because she later on had Solomon who became king. Amen. So David and Bathsheba, there's a lot to learn that lustful, dangerous, adulterous love many times starts off in the wrong place. And, and there's so many stories we can, we know about that in life. And, you know, but David still was a man that loved God. And the difference was he didn't stay in that sin in the sense of an arrogance and pride. He humbled himself, he repented, and he dealt with the consequences of his actions. Amen. I know you guys are saying, man, it's some stuff, man. Listen, if you read the word of God, it is so exciting because it, it, it reminds you of everyday life situations. Amen. The fifth one is Abraham and Sarah. That faithful love and this story begins in Genesis 17. Listen. God told Abraham when he was an old man, he told him, he said, listen, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And, you know, the story, you know, as they were living and Sarah was getting older, she was like, listen, I don't see where this child coming. I'm not getting pregnant. I'm going to tell my husband to take on the one of my handmaidens, which was Haggai. And she becomes pregnant, right? Isn't that crazy how we God can tell us something, give us a promise. And then we say, OK, I don't see it happening fast enough. Let me put my hands on it. Right. And we do that. I've done that. Come on now. Who, who's listening that haven't done that? Right. And then we mess up everything. We literally mess it up. And so here is what happens. She messes up this whole situation. And now Abraham and Sarah uh messes up and but here's the beauty of this situation their love is what we call the faithful love because what they did was 25 years later god blessed them with their son the promise god the covenant made with them you know then they you know they try to help god out and it alters the outcome in the long run and, and we have great consequences but listen they trusted in the promises, regardless of how long it took, 25 years. So maybe you can relate to them. But I'm telling you, faithful love is one of the greatest examples, Abraham and Sarah, of being patient and waiting for God, no matter how long it takes. Amen. And I want to talk about the one of the last ones uh, is Hosea and Goma, that unconditional love. And you can read the book of Hosea, which is the prophet of God. This is one of the most selflessness, selfless uh, loves in the Bible. Uh, Hosea, who was a prophet, God told him to marry Goma, who was a prostitute. You know, people say a prostitute, but she slept around. She was promiscuous, you know, and she had no love or no respect for this man. And we know that the theological perspective was God's relationship 
the children of Israel relationship with God was one of an adulterous one, you know, um, and that's that's the story of Hosea and Goma. But Hosea demonstrated one of the main things I would like us to always remember when it comes to unconditional love is the selflessness that's required. Selflessness, forgiving and commitment. Listen, this man who was being obedient to God, he knew that God was telling him to do something. Can you imagine being married to someone that is is running around town on you and you're still loving them and taking care of your family and children and they're not even doing their part? And then you how embarrassing that was. And he's a man of God. Can you imagine? But one of the beautiful things about Hosea was that his selflessness his forgiving. He had to constantly be selfless in order to, to maintain, to be able to love this woman in spite of all the things she had done, not only to him, but to their children. Um, forgiveness. One of the main ingredients of a healthy love is forgiveness and commitment. It is the commitment of Hosea to this woman because of the covenant he made with God that allowed him to continue to be faithful to her and committed to their marriage. Hosea and Goma gave us the unconditional love. And if you want to check out their love, I want you to check it out in reading the book of Hosea. Listen, it is always an honor and a privilege to come to you and especially on a day like today where love is in the air. But if you can remember the stories of these people of God and these six couples that I brought to you and just look at their lives. And I'm quite sure one of them, if not all of them, or some of them you can relate to that I know that I can. But the greatest thing is the love that God demonstrated to us on Calvary. Listen, Jesus Christ is the ultimate love that we can look at. He is that model. But what the reality is, is that we could never love to the capacity that Christ did. Because first of all, he was the great I am. He was uh, uh, the son of God. So we don't we're not deities, but we can look at the life examples of others who followed Christ and how they were able to love. Amen. Listen, I love each and every one of you. And I thank you all for tuning in today to the Being Love in Action podcast. Listen, I pray that today, that today was a day that you guys are excited Enjoy the rest of your Valentine's Day, people. And remember, listen, that God is the greatest. He really is. And don't be sad. And listen, we thank you as always for tuning in today. And we pray that you were blessed by today's podcast. Tune in with us weekly right here on the Podbean and Apple iTunes app. Amen. And also, listen, if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at King and C. Williams Ministries at yahoo.com. And listen, we pray today that if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, remember he's always available. The word reminds us that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory in God. That's Romans 3 and 22. 
23. And then John 3 and 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is love. So listen, how do you become saved? Listen, I don't care what we do on this podcast. It is all about salvation. And we want to make sure every listener, if you don't know Christ, or maybe you already know him, that you will come to know him as Lord and Savior. So listen, Romans 10 and 9 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So listen, we thank you again for tuning in. And until next time, remember, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. 1 Corinthians 13 and 13. And I am Reverend Kenya C. Williams of Kenya C. Williams Ministries. Peace and blessings.